you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, we're going to finish up the fourth chapter here in John's Gospel. And a series of little vignettes here at the end of the chapter, and they're all based on what has happened in the life of a single woman. This woman that Jesus meets at Jacob's well that we saw last Sunday, as, as she becomes a child of God, as she gives her life to the Lord, she then affects three different groups of people. And as she does this, she's doing the work of the ministry. You know, very often when I ask people what ministry means to them, they will normally talk about professional church work. In other words, oh, that's a pastor or, you know, an administrator in a church or maybe someone who works in a church building. They usually will associate the ministry with what we would call uh, the church itself, the facility that is the church and the people who are inside of it, in essence, running the church. Can I remind you that that's not the definition of ministry? The definition of, definition of ministry is us doing the will of God the Father as the children of God. Every last person in here, if you are a child of God, if you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of God's kids, and you're going to heaven, you are in the ministry. You have a position in ministry. That position is unique. It was designed by God. Good works, the Apostle Paul wrote, that you should walk in them. You have been placed into the ministry. We see someone who takes that very seriously as we finish chapter 4 here in John's Gospel in this message that I've entitled, A Bountiful Harvest. I want you to see these three stories, and then we'll look at the end at what really is uh, this incredible journey that we're on, the journey of faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we again thank you for your amazing work in our lives. And we ask that you would reinvigorate us, ignite us, Lord, to the plans and purposes for which you have left us on this earth. And so, God, we ask that you would speak through your word. Would it have power? Would it have effect in our life? Would we walk out of this place changed, molded, shaped, ready for that service to which you've called us. So bless us as we study. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You see, in this remaining portion of this chapter, we we find the power of one changed person's life. And every one of you in this room has a story to tell. And God wants to use your story. That's the reason he didn't take you home when you got saved. You ever thought about that for a moment? It seems almost like, well, get saved, go home. But no, he has a plan. He has a purpose. And we find that here, beginning in verse 31, John chapter 4. And in the meantime, his disciples saying, Rabbi, they urged him, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. And so again, the disciples uh, looking at everything from uh, the physical point of view and Jesus speaking from the spiritual point of view is going to begin to remind them uh, of the truth of this incredible, bountiful, beautiful harvest that lays before each one of us and that we need to be busy about our Father's business, not just engaged in the basic works of life. We all have things to do, amen? 
You have jobs to do and homes to maintain. There's all kinds of things to do. You, you should go eat meals. But Jesus is saying, look, that is not what life is all about. You know, really, we have not been all called to be foodies. Uh, that's, that's not why you're still here. You, you may have thought it was, but that's not it. it it's not to just be a, a, a something in, in the workforce. You've been called here because God has called you to minister in his name the good news of the gospel, to be engaged actively in that sense in the ministry. And therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? He's he's deranged. It's almost as if they're saying, look, he's really hungry because he's not thinking straight. He's talking about food that we don't know about. Of course, we know about food, and we're going to go into town. We're going to get some food. It's all about food. Can I tell you, we kind of get caught up in things like that ourselves. We, we look at the world around us and we begin to think that the only reason we're here is to go to work every day and then come home and take care of our homes and raise our children. All those things are important, by the way. But the reason that you as a believer have been left here is a much higher calling upon your life. And so that higher calling uh, comes into view now. And Jesus says to them, verse 34 here in John 4, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, for there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? He says, look, you guys are looking at this from an earthly perspective. I'm looking at it from a heavenly perspective. You're seeing a meal. I'm seeing lost souls. You're seeing something physical, and I'm seeing something spiritual. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. He may have been overlooking a a field, but he's certainly making an analogy. He says, you guys are really good at telling what season it is. You know when the harvest is going to come. How can you miss that there's a spiritual harvest that's underway? How can you possibly see what you're seeing in the lives of these people? And not be engaged in that. There's a lot of people that just come to church. You've been called to ministry. That may be a a single person that you can reach in your workplace. That may be raising your own children. That may be your spouse needs ministering too. But don't miss what Jesus is saying here. For he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. So he switches and makes sure. He says, look, we want to be engaged in eternal things. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. You know, very often I I get the blessing of seeing the reaping from a lot of other people sowing and watering and fertilizing and tilling, and pruning, and watering, and fertilizing again, and sowing some more seed into that same person. You you see, because I get the privilege of maybe concisely speaking the good news of the gospel, and they make a profession of faith, and come to faith in Christ, I, I get to enjoy that. But let me be really careful here. There's going to be a whole bunch of people rejoicing over that one soul that's come to faith in Christ. It won't just be me who led them in the sinner's prayer. It will be you who led them to the harvest field in the first place. We're in this together. We're all in the ministry together. And the harvest field is white. 
People need Jesus. As I said on Thursday night, look, the answers are not going to be found in politics. The answers are in redeemed lives, changed minds, lives that are transformed and renewed, and then the principle of love becomes their guiding factor. It won't be in just convincing someone of a particular political agenda. People need Jesus. This woman has come to faith. Notice what it says. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And I sent you to reap that which for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. You've joined them. How many of you in this room have been praying for maybe a loved one for a very, 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 very long time? I have. I have. I'm still praying. I'm still praying. Most everyone in my entire family has come to faith in Christ. But there's a couple of holdouts. One of them is my mom. Still praying. And I'm praying that other people will join me in that work. My brother has. My sister has. But I'm praying that other people join me in that work. Because maybe it'll be the words that you say to my mom that causes her to take that leap of faith. We're in this together, family. Notice the disciples' reaction here. You know, they're they're kind of shocked. Look, what are you doing talking to a Samaritan woman? It's like, really? But her life has been transformed. She's been changed in an instant. She went from an unsaved sinner to a saved sinner who's now a saint that's destined for heaven. She went from not knowing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to knowing Him and the power of His resurrection. Instantaneously changed. Now she's going to be on a journey like all the rest of us as we get a little more like Jesus every day. That path of sanctification But instantaneously, she begins to do the work of the ministry. And the results of it are found here. Can I show you a couple of things she didn't do? She didn't join a church. She didn't own a Bible. She didn't go to Bible college. She didn't go get a bunch of tracts and start passing them out. She simply told people what Jesus had done in her life. That's all she did. All I know is, I was a mess yesterday, and today I'm saved. Can I tell you, every person in this room who knows the Lord has that story to tell. Now, the details of it will differ from person to person. Though some of us share the same story, I would imagine. Because in here, there's a whole bunch of former drug users. And a whole bunch of former alcoholics and a whole bunch of former fornicators and a whole bunch of former idolaters and a whole bunch of... There's probably some murderers in here. Don't get up and leave. It's okay. They've been changed. (laughs) 
and hateful people and bitter people and mean-spirited people and people that were destined for hell. But we were changed. That's all that happened to this woman. You see, they're beginning to learn about God's grace. They're beginning to learn about God's will. And they're going to learn to do that in God's time. They're just simply going to take the time that they have to do the will of God. The will of God is always that people come to faith. Amen? Second Peter tells you there in chapter 3, God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't give up on people before God does, because He's not going to give up until they've stopped breathing. Amen? God's not giving up until you take your last breath, and then He actually isn't giving up. He's submitting to the choice that you made. In the meantime, you've been called into ministry. Every person you know is someone you can minister to. Get engaged. You see, the disciples are going looking for food. But what Jesus is looking for is faithful people to just come alongside and share the gospel. The disciples are looking for something to eat. And this woman is saying there's something far more important going on here. A Samaritan woman is actually doing what the disciples should have been doing. We don't see any record of them going into town and sharing the gospel. They went into town to get some food. Be busy about your father's business. Because in the end, we're all in the ministry together. We're in the ministry together. It's not just me that's in the ministry today. It's not just the pastoral staff. It's not our support staff. It's not the admin staff. It's not just people who are here in the church every day doing churchy work. You're all in ministry. You see, because what's going to happen is you're going to share with somebody in Samaria. They live right next door to you. You're going to share with someone in the marketplace. And then someone else is going to water that seed. And someone else is going to get some miracle Jesus grow and put it on them. And someone else is going to water it again. And someone else is going to pull the weeds out. Get rid of, rid of a little false thinking there. And eventually, there's going to be another kingdom kid added by faith. We're in it together. Paul, as he was writing of his own experience there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, look, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And he says, we're, we're planting. It's not he who plants. It's not he who waters. It's not one or the other. It's both. It's all. And each of you is important to that end. There are things that you can say to people that I can't say. Because they find out I'm a pastor, they're like, they're, they shut down instantaneously. Oh, here it comes. He's going to give me the religious talk. Because that's what people think. But you know what? You can sneak up on them. little stealth gospel gets in through you. You can drop a bomb right there at lunch. Did you know Jesus loves you? 
You're in the ministry at the lunch table. That's what this woman did. She just wanders around sprinkling little seeds of the gospel and watering other people had heard, probably through John the Baptist. And ultimately, the harvest comes in. Join the Lord in what he's doing, family. It's a blast. It's amazing. At our Alive Festival, which, just so you know, I'm, I would be really good if we struck Halloween from the calendar. I'd, that'd be all right with me. I'd be perfectly fine with that. It could go. But you know what actually bothers me more than that? Is the fact that right now we are skipping over Thanksgiving. That bothers me way more than Halloween. Because at our Alive Festival, we saw nearly a couple dozen people come to faith in Christ. We gave them candy, they got Jesus. Because that's the work of the ministry. But now we're, we're, you know, you all are being told you don't buy your wife Alexis, you don't love her. Where's Thanksgiving? We need to be thankful, family, that God's called us into ministry together. And we need to be thankful for what God's given us, that we would be able to do that ministry. The next thing, this next picture is, is another group of people, and it's the total town. It's all the Samaritans. Look at verse 39 with me. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Notice, they just simply believed. There wasn't a five-point message. Romans Road was not laid out that way. The woman told her story of being converted, being transformed, being renewed in her mind, being forgiven. Every one of you has that story to tell. Because in this room, we have a whole bunch of washed up, has been, used to be really good at, but are lousy sinners now. I pray that's you. You ought to be not very good at sinning anymore. And what happened was, when you gave your life to Christ, you used to be one way, you're now another way. But here's the crazy thing. People know how you used to be, amen? And so when you're not that way anymore, they see your life and they go, what happened to you? You used to be the life of the party. (laughs) But now you like kill parties wherever you go. You're like a party snuffer. Because you're always talking about Jesus this and Jesus that. Jesus saved, Jesus transformed me. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the ministry. Don't miss it. That's all this lady does. She's all I know is I was blind and now I can see. I was lame and now I can walk. I was a drunk and now I'm sober. I was in a relationship that wasn't pleasing to God, but God healed me. You all have a story to tell. Tell it. Tell it. Because people see the change. Give them a reason to glorify the Lord that you've changed. You were in a gang, but you're not in a gang. You got a new gang. It's called the Jesus gang. Amen? 
We're the Vermont Street Jesus Gang. <laughs> Come up with your own sign. I don't know. Imagine that. You're flat. Just don't get shot, okay? It's who we are. Tell people about it. Because of the word that the woman testified, he goes on to say, and he told me all that I ever did. Jesus not only told her, but then forgave her of all she ever did. Isn't that crazy? You're forgiven. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Notice he just keeps saying, believe, believe, believe. He doesn't say no, no, no. He doesn't say do, do, do. He says believe, believe, believe. That's faith at work. That's not work. That's faith at work. And then he said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. This is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. It's been confirmed in our own lives. We, we get it. We know it too. It's real. It's what happens when you live real before people. People believe the reality of your life. That's how it works. They know you're changed. It's as real as you getting up every day. Now after the two days he departed and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country, which is where he's at. He's near Nazareth. It's very close. He's going to go back down to the Sea of Galilee. He's making this descent down through the canyon, past the cliffs of Arbel. And so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen all things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to that feast. And so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee. He's on his way descending. He's gone from Samaria to Nazareth, his hometown. He's now descending from Nazareth down through this little tiny canyon along the creek, past Cana. He's going to go past the cliffs of Arbel down to Magdal. And then he's going to walk along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's going to get to Capernaum. He's going to take the Via Maris, the way of the sea. And so he's descending. But he stops at Cana. This is a beautiful picture of what you need to do. You need to stop every once in a while at Cana and find out what's been going on since you were last there. That person that you shared the gospel with, that person that you lived before, that one who knows you or used to know what you were and now knows what you are, you should stop in Cana and see if God doesn't want to do another miracle. Where he had made the water into wine and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum And when he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea and into Galilee, he went to him and implored him, come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And so here, Jesus ministers to this crowd of Samaritans, and and the fruit begins to come. Exactly the picture of John 15. John 15 is picture of Jesus being the vine and all of a sudden there's pruning going on and and there's fruit that's being born and there's a little more fruit and then there's finally much fruit that's all that's happening it's just God working in the lives of these Samaritan people and so they they repent they're changed they're transformed they they begin to get it and so the third picture which is really kind of an encapsulation of all that Jesus has been doing, 
It's a single nobleman and his son and the people that are listening and seeing and watching. It's the servants of the nobleman. We don't know a thing about him, but we do know that the tetrarchy, the, the, the group of four leaders of the Herods, Herod Antipas is stationed in Tiberias, which is on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. If you travel with us, we'll go there. You'll get to see uh, where, where these things transpired. But there in Tiberias, there would have been a ruler, and that ruler would have controlled the region of the Sea of Galilee. And so there's a nobleman, and he's in Capernaum, no doubt likely attached to the Romans. The Romans are collecting taxes. The road that went around the sea was a Roman road. And so if you traveled on it, you had to pay a road tax in order to move your goods to travel on it. Otherwise, you could go through the bushes if you wanted. So here this important man is. And I want you to see this. Verse 49 as we finish up the chapter. And then the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Notice what Jesus says. Go your way, your son lives. Jesus is exercising his authority over time and space and matter all at once. He's saying, your son lives. I don't need to go there. I don't need to be there. I don't need to touch him. Faith is sufficient to heal your son. Can I tell you that faith is sufficient to heal you too? And anyone who will believe of anything. And so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. I love this. You see, he's heard the story. He's witnessed what's happened with the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans. You see, that's what happens. This is the ministry. This man has been set up by the ministry of Jesus to where all he needs is something to push him over the edge, just like that. And he realizes that that Samaritan woman should have never had any impact, but she has. Realizes that those Samaritans should hate Jews, but they don't. And so the cumulative effect of what's happened in the region has now reached, in essence, a spiritual boiling point to where people are just giving their life to Jesus like that. And that's what happens here. Very often you've been sowing and you've been plowing and you've been tending to the field and you've been sprinkling water on people. Not literally. You've been working in their lives and you've been sharing what God's done in your life and they've heard the story and they've listened to the message and all of a sudden they come in and I say two words and they're like, I need to know Jesus. That's what happens to this nobleman. There's no major message here. He's not handed a tract. He comes to faith in Christ because God desires that all men come to faith. And the stage has been set. And so in that sense, look at how this ends. And he inquired of them the hour which he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Now the seventh hour in Roman times would be in the evening. It's not a Hebrew calendar, it's a Roman calendar. The fever left him, and so the father knew it was at the same hour which Jesus had said to him, your son lives. 
And he himself believed and his whole household. That's the power of a transformed life. And this is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea and into Galilee. And so this last little picture is really an encapsulated picture of the journey of faith. And let me end with this. You can see it in the nobleman. You can see it in the Samaritans. You can see it in the Samaritan woman. And I can tell you emphatically, it's the story of Jeff Gill. Here it is. It's very simple. You see, the, the story of faith, almost without exception, begins with a crisis of faith. Something is going on in your life that you can't handle. Something you don't know, something you do not have the answer to, something beyond your control, something to which you cry out, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And that's where Jesus steps into the picture. And so it begins with a crisis of faith. The next step is that crisis of faith becomes confidence in faith. Because all of a sudden, your life begins to change. You've made a commitment by belief. Your journey of faith rounds the corner and goes from a crisis to confidence. It's just like, I know that I know. When I gave my life to Jesus, I knew I was a child of God. And and I went forward in the most Baptist fashion you can imagine. Just as I am, and I just knew I needed to go. When I got down there, I knew I met Jesus. I had confidence that faith had set me free. Then what happens to that confidence? That confidence becomes confirmed. Because what happened in this nobleman's life was all of a sudden the facts started to add up to a significant crisis turning into an absolute confidence which is confirmed by the living of his life. My son's alive. And it happened exactly when Jesus said it was going to happen. You see, there's confirmation that happens there. And those of us that walk with the Lord, my life is a story of God confirming time after time after time after time. I am with you. Lo, I am with you. Even to the end of the age. No idea how God's going to work it out. No idea where he's taking us. No idea what we're going to do. But God shows up. You see, that's something only the Lord can do. That's that confirmation. And then finally, and here's what we're going to end with. Just like in the Samaritan woman, just like in the Samaritans themselves, Just like in this nobleman whose whole family is now saved, it becomes very contagious. Because what started as a crisis in your life becomes confidence in Christ, becomes a confirmed word that's happened to you and is visible in your life, and now you've got to tell everybody about him. We become, in that sense, infectious. People see what we have and they're like, I don't know what happened to Jeff, but whatever that is, I know how he used to be. 
I need that in my life. That's contagious. You mean the Lord saved your marriage? Yes, he did. You mean he didn't, it wasn't just a bunch of meetings? Didn't go to England? Nope, just met Jesus. You're not an alcoholic? You don't carry a coin in your pocket? Nope, just met Jesus. He does that? Yep. It's contagious. Can he do that for me? Yep. You see, you're in ministry. You need to get busy ministering. And that's not meant to be critical, by the way. Take it as a wonderful blessing. You get to join God in what he's doing. He's planted a harvest field. Some of you in this room today are watering. Some of you in this room are fertilizing. Some of you are pruning. Some of you are weeding. Some of you are planting some additional seed in in a place where there's already some seed. And some of you are going to have the blessing of seeing God bring in a harvest. Join him. Amen? Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Look for those places where someone's crisis of faith can be turned to confidence in Christ. Look for some place where that confidence can have that confirmation that the Lord's at work. And then just go out into the world and be utterly contagious with love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and self-control. Let people see Jesus working in you. It's crazy contagious. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that it is by faith that we've received that grace. And Lord, that faith was a gift to us and we bless your name. Lord, it's not religious at all. It's relational. Father, we thank you that you love us with a never-ending love. Lord, that before the foundation of the world was laid, you loved us. And you're going to keep loving us and all of mankind. And so, Lord, we get to join you in what you're doing, which is bringing in the harvest. We pray that you'd help us see those crises of faith around us and share the good news of the gospel. And as we see that harvest come in, Lord, would you make us contagious with our own personal faith so that other people can come to know you. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.